This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight we're going to be looking at two cities, Laodicea, which is one of the seven cities where there was a church that the Lord Jesus wrote to or spoke to directly. Uh, and then we're going to look at a, the first city that we'll be visiting that wasn't one of the seven churches, but it was right up there with uh, Laodicea and the Hierapolis that we looked at last week. We'll be uh, looking at Colossae tonight as well. So have your Bibles handy. Uh, we are going to be looking at some scripture texts, first in Revelation, and then we'll be moving over to the book of Colossians. So Laodicea, in modern day Turkey, you're getting to, to see where all these cities are right on the coast of the Aegean. Uh, they're all right there together. Ephesus, of all these cities, was the primary city, okay, and probably the largest of the cities. Uh, we mentioned last time that there was a a road. It was really uh, the main mail route. It was the messenger route. It was the main trade route uh, that headed from Rome to the coast into Ephesus, the, the port, the main port there. And then that trade route ran all the way past uh, Philadelphia. Uh, we'll see tonight it ran right through the center of Laodicea. Okay? Ran right through the center, headed east, and went as far as the Euphrates. And that was the main communication route, the trade route. Uh, many Roman armies traveled that route, and before them, Greek armies, and before them, Persian armies. So this is a significant area in what Paul and the apostles knew in their time as Asia Minor. Alright, so... Laodicea. Let's talk about this city. It was founded by the Seleucid king Antiochus II, named for his wife Laodice. Okay, you can see the similarities there. 260 BC, located 45 miles southwest of Philadelphia. By the way, let me just pause there. Someone asked, oh, how far apart? How far apart are these cities? Well, again, just take a look. And so from uh, Philadelphia, let's see here, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Look at the difference there. You're talking 45 miles. Okay? Just kind of give you a sense. It was on the great Roman road that started to the coast and ran right through the city of Laodicea. Thus, it was an important center for communication and trade. Its wealth came from the production of a fine quality, glossy black wool. A really fine, glossy black wool. Now, maybe some of you are asking, how did it get black? Well, there's a lot of discussion about that. Did they dye it that color? Were there sheep there that were that color? 
and there's really not a consensus on that. But they made a lot of money uh, from that wool. Laodicea was known for its wealth. The city's vast banking assets were evidenced by the fact that they have found in the writings of Cicero, that Roman statesman, and in other antiquity, that Cicero cast huge bank drafts here. So it was a banking center. Now remember what we said about it being on that road, that main route. You see where it runs? Philadelphia, right through there. All along that route, you have to have banks. You have to have places where you can cash your checks. Uh, you have to be able to get money, be able to continue uh, on. And again, Rome itself was, was commerce. Uh, the coinage, the Caesars going all the way into Palestine, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And what is Jesus holding when he makes that statement? A coin. Okay. All right. And so, major banking center... <clears throat> After the AD 17 earthquake, and for those who are of us who are traveling over there, we're going to hear the tour guide say that a few times. Because it was a devastating earthquake. They had others, but it devastated things. We talked about other cities where, um, you know, Tiberius lended them funds to rebuild. That happened with Philadelphia and some other places. Okay, but here was what was unique about Laodicea. They were so wealthy that they rebuilt it out of their own funds and they refused imperial help. Keep your money. We don't need it. Here's what else the city was known for. It's medicine. It actually had a famous school of medicine. A special ointment known as Phrygian powder was famous here for its ability to treat eye defects. They also produced ear ointments that were uh, sold, again, along that trading route. So, great wealth, known for its medicine. Now, what about its name and history? Well, again, we already said it was named after one of the king's wives, but William Ramsey, in his book, The Seven Churches of Revelation, points out that nothing exceptional stood out about Laodicea. Now for me, and when we get there, uh, it is one of the most beautiful spots that we're going to get to see. And we'll see in a little bit with some pictures I'll show you that uh, they are rebuilding the city. It's, it's a country city. It's... You stand on Main Street and you just look around in the mountains and it's, it's beautiful, but there's, there's nothing exceptional about it. Not like Ephesus where there was, you know, where there was a massive port, Corinth, another massive port. Um, nothing real exceptional about it uh, to distinguish it. It was a city with a people who had learned, and this is, this is interesting, of people who had learned to compromise and accommodate themselves to the needs and wishes of others. Just put in the back of your mind for right now, like the city, like the church. 
it just kind of church just kind of blended in, and the people of the city had just kind of learned to blend in. You know, oh, you you want to think that? Oh, good for you. You want us to try? Sure, we. You know. One of the things that the Lord was so grieved by with this church is they were making no difference in the city. The city wasn't making any difference. And the church in the city wasn't making any difference. And we, we'll see in a little bit, because they were lukewarm. They just, okay. Um, so they did not zealously stand for or against anything. Sadly, and, and this this really does, I think we'll look back on church history and say that the day that we live in, the church, in places like Europe and America, don't really stand for much, anything. Are we really making any difference in our culture? Some churches are, okay? But overall, what's the, what's the, the taste? What's the attitude, you know? Um, this was Laodicea. Now, for all its wealth, Laodicea had a had a poor water supply. Fresh water from the Lycus River was brought six miles by aqueduct to the city, where it was lukewarm on arrival. Water also came from the hot springs of Hierapolis, uh, but it was undrinkable. So this, this is just the reality. I want to pause and think about how the Lord expresses His influence on us. There was a day on the Temple Mount where they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And that, that of course, Israel in the wilderness, they lived in tents. And the Lord instructed them the rest of your days you build a tent or a structure and you you live in that thing and you feast and, and let it, it be a reminder that I took care of your your forebears in the wilderness. But when they were in the wilderness, what was one one issue that came up over and over and it caused the people to complain? What was it? It was water. And so let's connect the dots. It was water. The way that feast ended, the Feast of Tabernacles, up on the Temple Mount, someone would, would go down to the Pool of Bethesda, they'd fill a pitcher with water, they would bring it up on the Temple Mount, and they would ceremoniously take that water around as part of the feast. And everybody would cheer and shout and celebrate. It was at that point that Jesus shouted out where everybody could hear him. If anyone is thirsty, Come unto me, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The whole point is if you know me and you're yielded to me, there's just unceasing refreshment to yourself and to those who are around you. I believe that part of the imagery with Laodicea was there was no refreshment. The water coming to the city was lousy, and the water coming out of the church was lousy. There wasn't any. Okay? Uh, so, with that in mind, let me... There we go. Okay. So it was undrinkable. It, it wasn't useful. 
Well, let's look at some pictures. Remember, there are three cities right together, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. Remember what I told you about Colossae? It is simply a tell now. Okay? I'll show you a picture of it later. We are on top of the tell. The city is underneath us. But if you look in this direction, and, and it's hard to see, that's not a great projector. But off, you see some ruins off to the side there, and you can see it on the picture in your handout. That's Laodicea. That's how close you are to the city. What you can't see is up this direction, up on the mountain, is Hierapolis. And from here, you can see all that. That's how close they were. Now, they're miles apart, but everything's wide open. You can see it. And so you have these three cities. Remember we mentioned the aqueduct. Here you go. <clears throat> so it looked like a Roman aqueduct. It brought water distance. But then they also channeled through the stone, and they put in actual pipe and one one source that I saw said they vented it because they wanted to, the water to be fresher um, but anyway they vented it and they had a way that they could replace these and I I hope we'll see when we get to lay to see if some of this is laying out on the field and you can see parts to this this water trough that brought uh, it was to bring the fresh water in but then, of course, they had the problem that you have water coming in from late, or from Hierapolis too. So that's that's part of the of what, what we'll get to see in Laodicea. Now here's Main Street, and they continue to unearth it. But it, again, when you're standing on it, looking down, you get the sense this was quite a place. And and when you stand away from it and look at a distance over fields and fields and fields. You'll see just pieces of city. It was a, it was a significant city in Roman times. And, and again, I'm overwhelmed. We looked at, uh, it was, was it Pergamus? Where that, the whole uh, temple structure, which is just, these places were massive. Wait till you see Ephesus, okay? Uh, the Roman Empire was quite impressive. I also made this statement to you, excuse me, before. I don't know if you remember it, but I said they're putting the city back together. They're using computers to do that. And there is proof. Again, not, not a great picture on here, but the scaffolding, and then you can see the lift and the crane that they're using. And they're just lifted pieces, and, and the world's greatest superglue is there, you know. And they're reconstructing this. Like a big Lego puzzle. Yeah. yeah. But is that all in pieces because of time or the earthquake? Yes. <laughs> yeah. When we get to Colossae, we're going to talk about the fact. Remember, you, you had you had earthquake, you had warfare, and just what happens to stuff when people walk away? It just it just falls in the ground. So all of that is at work, okay? Um, but they're, they're working on, I'm excited because 
this was just starting to happen when I was there years ago. I want to see how much they've gotten done today. So. I'm sitting here wondering how they did that in the first century. They didn't have the crane. That's true. They were they were amazing. Didn't have college degrees either. But they did have uh, they did have good math. And what you can do with pulleys and you know slaves. Slaves, yeah. Master, are these done by the rebuilding? Is it are they done by universities here in the states and giving grants? Great question. Because when we get to Colossi, we're gonna talk about some of this. Alright? But yes, archaeology is driven by institutions, uh, other uh, I'm not charity isn't the right word. Um, no. Not not yeah. Um, trusts. You know, they, 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 this money out there that they're spending, and, and lots of times universities from different countries will join up with. You know the uh, Israeli antiquities. Uh, there are groups in Turkey. Egypt, it's amazing how much archaeology is being done in Egypt. And, and you have institutions of higher learning all over the place that are partnering with, with Egypt. And, and that's, you know, so college students will spend their whole summers over there doing these digs, which I think would just really be a lot of fun. Okay, so let's, let's talk about what's of greater significance than just all this neat stuff we'll get to see. <clears throat> the church of Laodicea, what did Jesus say to this church? Well, here's what you need to know. Seven times Laodicea mm -hmm. is mentioned in the New Testament. Did you know that? We know it's mentioned twice in Revelation, but it's mentioned other times. And those other mentions also help us understand that at one time, this was probably a thriving church. Okay, it had a good start like the others did. It was likely started by Epaphras. I personally believe Epaphras was probably an evangelist that uh, was working up there, had been either led to the Lord or influenced by Paul. Because Paul refers to him first as his fellow servant and then later on as his fellow prisoner. So we're not quite sure what happened, but Epaphras ended up incarcerated too at one at, at some point later on. Okay. Nothing positive is said to this church. How do you like that? At least with the other ones, the Lord says, "This is good. This is good." But I've got somewhat against you. Nothing good is said about Laodicea. In chapter 3, verse 16, he does say this. If you want to follow in your Bible here, Thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Do you think the Laodiceans understood what the Lord was saying when he said that? It's like, ouch. We, we live with this water problem all the time. And you just told us that we, to you, are the same problem. Okay, have you ever 
put some liquid in your mouth and immediately you knew okay and that's what the Lord is saying in your taste in my mouth okay. uh, some of you will remember this there was a night that I got in the pulpit here at Good News I don't know maybe that's I think you were here this was back when Pastor Ken Hedrick was still the music guy and when my daughter Kaylin was still in high school here. And we used, instead of water bottles, we would put a glass of water under the pulpit. And so one night, Kaylin, working with Mr. Taylor, thought they were going to get Pastor Ken and they salted that water. But just so happened that that was a night I needed that glass of water. And so I'm preaching away. And I reach for that glass of water. Kaylin's white. Her face just goes ashen white. Oh no. And I took a swig and I'm like. Ah. And immediately it was just an instinct. I said, Kaylin. She's pointing at Mr. Taylor. Alright. The problem was that night I couldn't spew it out of my mouth. I mean, where, where am I gonna, what am I going to do with this water? But, you know. That's that is that is how the Lord viewed uh, this church. Now, see if there's any connection with what we've learned about Laodicea and what he says in verse 17. Now sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Was this a wealthy city? Yes. Oh yeah. In fact, they had enough wealth. If, if, if nature knocked the city down, they had enough money to just rebuild. They didn't need anybody's help. That that was who these people were. But what does the Lord say about them? No, it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The sad thing is that's the church. Imagine the influence they're having on the city. If, if the church is this, what about those who are spiritually blind? Okay. So do you see the connection with their history their geography, and um, and what the Lord is saying to them. How about this? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. Oh, wait a minute. Eye salve? Oh, yeah. They knew all about that. That thou mayest see. So the Lord takes everything that they have as far as material wealth and he says, but you don't have any of this spiritually. You need to come back to me so that I can give you what you really need. What was that? Lasting riches. White raiment, not black wool. White raiment. What does white raiment picture? Purity. Holiness. What are we going to wear in heaven? White raiment. Okay? Get your focus off of what you have in Laodicea. Get it on what's lasting. Heaven. Eternity. Okay? And then spiritual eye balm for eternal sight. Uh, these were all needed from the Lord. Any comments? Any thoughts?
And so the Lord's uh, response to them, let's just read beginning in verse 19. As many as I love, stop. Did the Lord love this church? Yes. <laughs> How do we know that? I rebuke and chasten. He had already rebuked them. We just saw that. Pretty direct, right? And then chasten. That's coming. You may feel content and good about things now, but chastening is coming. Be zealous, therefore, you lukewarm people who kind of just kind of go with whatever. Okay, now stop. Be zealous and repent. Turn around. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now please don't ever use that as a salvation passage. You can say to somebody, let the Lord come into your heart. Let Him into your heart. But don't quote this verse because He's not talking to sinners, unsafe people. He's saying, I'm standing outside the church and I'm knocking. You got Let me in. What? He's outside. It's His church. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Now realize, what's written to all these churches, they understood thrones and realms and royalty. Okay. We're late see you. We're not really much out here if we're honest about it. But if we will open the door and fellowship with the Lord, okay, and be an overcomer, what are we overcoming? Not so much persecution lay to see it, overcoming our flesh and our desire for all this stuff. He that overcometh, I will set with my Father in His throne. Wow. By the way, that applies to us today, Americans. Let's not get wrapped up in material stuff. Okay? It can all go away that fast. And so let's let's let the Lord in, let's fellowship with him. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Okay? Be zealous. As opposed to lukewarm, repent. Any any thoughts? Did you have any questions? Yes, ma'am. When I was coming up uh, in college and after, we always used Revelation 3 25 as the gospel and the first salvation. But you are the first pastor I go sure that I mean Of course, I see in the context of it. Right. Right. And, and like you, coming up, I heard, I heard preaching on that. Yeah. Yep. I heard preaching on that. <clears throat> but that's not the context. Yeah. That's uh, okay. Good. Any other thoughts? Then Colossae. Now I I love Colossae because if Laodicea really they had a lot of wealth but they were nothing. Colossae's the other side of the tracks, if you know what I mean. But I love what the Lord did for the church at Colossae. And I can't wait to meet some of the Colossian... I can't wait to meet all the Colossian believers. 
Someday you'll be able, some of you will be able to say, yeah, I stood on your city. <laughs> okay. You're going to recognize some of these, these names, and, and we're going to talk about people that you've read about in your Bible. They walked the streets of Colossae. So let's, let's move ahead here, uh, talking about this city then. This location, located 120 miles east of Ephesus. Again, this Lycus River uh, Valley, what was known as ancient Phrygia, Asia Minor, as stated earlier, is one of the uh, triad of cities in the area with Laodicea and Hierapolis. And it rested at the foot of Mount uh, Cadmus. I'll show you some pictures. I, what I said earlier about Laodicea, it's kind of a valley region where Laodicea, uh, Colossae gets to move up against the side of the mountain. It's just beautiful. It's, it's wine growing area. It's farming today. But you, you're going to look around, you're going to see mountains. And it's just green. And, and the time of year we're gonna, we'll, we'll be there. It really is, really is refreshing. All right. Colossi's significance goes back to the time of the Persians when Xerxes and Cyrus the Younger visited, we know from uh, antiquity, they visited this city. It was a place to visit. It had significance. But by the time Paul wrote to the church there, it had little importance it's probable that the citizens of Colossae worshipped the Greek gods. All these cities, there's evidence that they were worshipping the Greek Roman gods. However, they were also known to worship angels. Now this is, this is interesting to me, and in fact, you've got to remember, and, and this is brought out when you read about these cities, every one of these cities had a significant Jewish population. When the diaspora happened, when uh, Antiochus, Epiphanes, you know, the persecution of the Jews, and they fled all over to escape, they ended up in all these cities. In fact, um, there is, and when we get to Laodicea, hopefully we'll be able to see it, there's actually a piece of a, co of a column. And they're, they're not, they can't know for sure when this was etched into the column. But there is actually a menorah carved into one of these columns. Evidence of the Jews were there. And then coming up out of the menorah is a cross. Like Christian Jews. Was it a Christian Jew? And when did that get carved into that column? But evidence, the Jews are there. The Christians are there. Now here's what else is interesting. They worshipped angels, and the main angel they worshipped was Michael. We didn't get that from the Greek gods. Where would they have gotten that? Jewish scripture. Okay. So, of them, Michael was the chief angel that they worshipped, the protector of the city. It was said that once he appeared to the people, saving the city in time of a flood. Now, turn to Colossians. I want you to see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I want you to see these letters, okay, 
and and how how applicable. By the way, good preaching always applies truth, and it's direct. Well, I don't like that preacher. He steps on toes. If he's not applying scripture, he's not preaching. How direct was the Apostle Paul? Look at Colossians chapter 2. See if you recognize anything familiar in here. Verse 18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of... What? Angels. It's Colossae. Boy, that, everybody sat up. So what that is telling us is that there were believers, they were saved, they were following the teachings of the apostles, but some of them were slipping back into what they had been doing before they were saved. Stop worshiping angels. Intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Okay. So why would Paul bring that up? Because it was a problem in Colossae. Now what about the city today? Excavations of Colossae have not taken place. But surveys of the site reveal remains of a necropolis. What is a necropolis? Here's a hint. What is necromancy? It's rotten. Okay. Worshipping the dead, talking to the dead. This is nothing more than a Greek cemetery. And there is evidence of this cemetery in Colossae. Okay? Just because they could look at how these Roman cities were laid out, and even if you do a survey of the area, you can begin to see, well, this is probably here, and this is probably here, and so on. What else did they find? Not only the cemetery, but also a theater. How many of these other cities did we look at, and all of them have what? A big old theater. Okay. They, the way, when they look at, at how things are laid out in that city, they believe there's a theater buried in there too. This is why I want us all to take our shovels and let's just take a couple months and start digging. Okay? Wouldn't that be fun? But it takes lots of money. So somebody, uh, I think, Tony, you asked, okay, so who's, who's, who finances this? How does this work? Well, it's a great question because we're going to talk about that tonight. Here's, here's what we know, okay? Uh, Flinders University in Australia had a plan to excavate the site, but the lack of interest from its Turkish partner, or, or really counterpart, education, educators, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll help you rebuild Laodicea and maybe some of these other places, but why Colossi? Why spend the time and the money? It's just, it doesn't have any significance, really. Okay? So, they didn't start the archaeological work. It seems the same disinterest that led to Colossi's decline in the past is still the attitude today. Which I think is unfortunate. And so, <laughs> let's look at some pictures. We are standing on a field. Laodicea is behind us. A few miles. You're looking at clocks. And it's a tell. It's just a pile of dirt. And we'll get to walk up there. 
There's a guy, I don't know what he's, when we were there, it looked like it was springtime and they were, they had just planted. I don't know how he felt that these tourists are walking all over up there. Okay. But the city, and look at how big that hill, the city's under that. And what was so hard for me, because I want to bring an extra suitcase and just load it with stuff, but then I'd end up in a Turkish prison and I don't want to do that. But you're walking around, this guy's plowing, and there's pieces of pottery, all, you know, pieces of marble, and it's all coming up around your feet. And what's it, what's it coming from? The city's down there. Uh, that's why I hope there's instant replay in heaven. You've heard me say that. I love history, but Lord, can we can we just take a tour of Colossae? Can we can we walk through Herod's Jerusalem as it was? You know, will you let us do that? I, I just <coughs> think it would be fascinating. Well, what, so what happens over time, and and we're gonna we're gonna get to this because it's true of all these cities. All right, let me let me show you a picture, and then we're gonna come back to that because what that. Is that city in the background, the modern city. Where, where do we look at? See that Well, there might be trees. Yeah, I think it's just trees, and then you've got the mountain. <coughs> that mountain. That's a big mountain. Remember we said it went up against the mountain? There, there you go. Now here's, here's another picture. Now we're on top of the tell. Okay. So this is where we're walking around. There's just stuff up there. I'm like, uh, I'd like to take some of this home with me. Would you like really get in trouble if you did that? Oh, yeah. In fact, they tell you. Hmm. They tell you the day before you go to get on the airplane to fly out of there. Just letting you know, they're going to check all your bags and what they're looking for is antiquities. You don't want to be caught with antiquities. So, the last time we were there, I had a snail. What was left of a snail in a plastic bag of what Lydia would have used to make her dye, her purple. I had that. I had a stone from Smyrna. It was just a piece of marble from Smyrna. I had something else. I forget what it was. And so the tour guide that we're going to our hotel the last night, we're going to get on a plane the next day, he puts us on this guilt trip. If you have any of this stuff, they're going to come up. Man, did I wrestle with that. <laughs> They're not going to miss it. So, I went to a garbage kid. I don't want to cry. <laughs> the next day, they had security. They're like, come on, come on, come on. They hardly checked anything we want right to our plane. Not fair. Well, they didn't do that in Spain. We had some rocks, so we collect rocks from everywhere we go. And the gal looks at the x-ray, opens the bag, and she looks at it, she goes, grab the rocks, put them aside, and let us have them. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have, in fact, sometime I'll have to take this over to the missions display in the hospitality room, because I put my antiquity stuff over there. Okay. There are rocks 
from Caesarea by the sea. There are pieces of marble that years and years ago I I got them out of Israel and nobody said anything. We have real Roman nails over there that you'll have to see sometime. And then I also have a rock from Masada that's that's and it's all in the display cases over there. So you'll have to go look at it. But uh, all right. When we were in Ephesus the last time, this, now this is really really cool. Do we have time? Oh, we have time. Okay. We in Ephesus will go to a rug factory where they're still using the the weavers' beams to make these rugs, and they they have children working because the kids have small enough hands that they can do the weave. Okay. So they are. They're using the techniques that they would have used to make those kinds of things in Bible times. They, um, the wool that they were using was from Coptic Christians in Lebanon. Okay, but, but and again, they told us the techniques go all the way back to Abraham. But anyway, so I bought one of those rugs and we have it on display. They've got it on display up at uh, the church I pastor in Pennsylvania, but it it, it takes you back in time, and you get to you get to see this and how how they're doing these things. Really remarkable. Okay, any questions? Tell that word. What word? What I hear you saying is tell. T E L. T E L. That's just that. So when you're in Israel. The tour guide will point out the window and he'll say, that is Tel Gilboa. And I, I specifically remember, they remember when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, they went to Gilboa. That's, um, no, I'm not, that's not Gilboa. Gilboa is where Saul and his sons were, were killed, Mount Gilboa. Um, Gibeah, I think that's the, what I'm thinking about. But anyway, the, the city of Gibeah. And so we're, we're driving down through the Jordan Rift, the Jordan Valley, and he points out the window and he goes, there's Tel, tel uh, Gibeon. And it is. It's just this mounded earth. And there's a city under there. There's a, there is a Canaanite city under there that they've just never taken time to unearth. When I first went to Israel, the tour guide says, we don't know where Bethsaida is. Well, guess what? The last time we were there, we walked, you guys remember that? We walked around Bethsaida. They, they dug it out of the dirt. Yeah. So this is, this is looking down then. You can see we're, we're at an, on an elevated place where we're, we're looking down. Um, I also made the comment that the, remember the, the, the cold, fresh water that came out of uh, Colossae and headed towards Laodicea. Remember we talked about that? There you go. Nice creek. Yeah. There's the water from Hierapolis mixing with that water going into Laodicea? Um, there's the aqueduct that they used to use 
we'll have to see today what is happening with that water because that aqueduct's not functioning anymore. Um, and I honestly, I don't remember, you know, looking at that water coming down the side of Hierapolis, what it's doing today. But yeah, they tell us that back in these days that, you know, the people had to walk up to get to fresh water, but that it did mingle and come into the city as as the mixed lukewarm stuff. Have any of you ever been in a mineral spring or in a in in a hot uh, hot springs? If you go out west, you you know around uh, Mount. Uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone, thank you. Old Faithful. Hot Springs, Idaho. There are those places, and, and people drive from all over the country to, to just be in those things. They, you know, they'll go out there in the dead of winter and, and uh, swim in those things. The smell of sulfur. The smell is awful, but they but it's supposed to be good for your skin and so on. Yeah, but good spring water in the summertime. So, same thing with Hierapolis. Yeah. You'll smell it. But... Uh, for medicinal purposes. Tiberius, uh, next to the Sea of Galilee, it has hot springs too, and people came from all over. But of course, the Jews despised it because when the Romans bathed, they didn't care about any modesty or anything. So they were coming. We don't ever read that Jesus was in Tiberius because it was a Roman city and that was the stuff going on. He was all around that lake, Sea of Galilee, but he was. we don't ever read that he was in Tiberius. Okay, so what about the church? And we're done. Consider the fact that the inspired words of Jesus Christ to the churches in these ancient cities are all that remains and is profitable. I think that's remarkable. So tonight in Chesapeake, Virginia, you have believers who are reading the very words of Jesus to these churches. Who wrote the book of Colossi, or Colossians? Thank you. All right. The Lord did. Through Paul. Now, yeah, Paul was the human author using his style of writing, using his burden, knowing what he knew about what was going on at that church up there. So he's writing, but holy men of God were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's Christ's letter to the church of Colossae, and there's no doubt about who was, who, chapters 2 and 3, John, unto the angel, the messenger, the church of Laodicea, write, from me, here's my letter to them. Okay. And so, these cities are in ruins, but God's working in the hearts of men and women in those cities, we still have that truth, and it's still ministering to us. I think that is amazing. The gospel work done in these cities continues to have an in eternal impact. Although Paul never visited this city. Look at Colossians 2 and verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at your next door neighbor, Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. What's that tell us? Paul hadn't been there. They're getting a letter from him and they don't even know what he looks like. Not seeing his face. 
All right, but, but he's writing to them. So, it was a church established by the efforts of who? Epaphras and Timothy. Colossians 1. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. Drop down to verse 7. As ye also learned okay, of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Now most Bible scholars think that Epaphras was actually from Colossae. How he got saved? Believers coming out of Ephesus, we're, we're just not sure, but he got saved, he got called, and he was an evangelist to these three cities. Okay? So he's, he's ministering up there. Let's go on. <clears throat> Did you know that this was also the home of Philemon? So there's an, a, a slave named Onesimus who's had enough of his master, and he runs... He gets out of Coloss or yeah, out of Colossae, and he ends up in Rome. What road do you think he took? <laughs> okay, and he ends up in Rome, and the Holy Spirit brings him across the path of Paul. And Paul has a good friend who lives in Colossae, and his name is Philemon. Okay. What else do we know? So this church in in, uh, in Colossae, when you read Philemon, where is the church in Colossae meeting? And the church that is in your home. It's in his house. Okay. The Colossian church survived until the 12th century. It was a strong church. Colossians is like what other Bible or New Testament letter? Lots of similarities. What you say? Good. She's right. You will see parallel passages between Ephesians and Colossians. Paul wrote an abbreviated letter to the Colossians, but he said a lot of the same things he said to the Ephesians. What does that tell you? It doesn't matter the size of the city or how significant. The Lord loves both and the Lord's going to address your spiritual needs. It says up in here too, the letter to the Colossians was sent by the same messenger that took the one to the Ephesians and believed. Okay. Good. So, lasted until the 12th century. There's evidence of that. And then, getting to what you, Sam, said, why, why are these places... Okay, the Turks came in destroyed any Christians that they could find, and they destroyed these cities. The Ottoman Empire, it's now us. And we don't want any evidence of these pagan cultures or the Christian culture. Okay, And we'll take it to the ground. And they did that. When you study Jerusalem, there are 20 levels of occupation in Jerusalem. Rebuilt, destroyed. Rebuilt, destroyed. Rebuilt, destroyed. So when you go to parts of Herod's Jerusalem, the things that Jesus saw, you guys know, you end up going down 30 feet, and oh, down there's the pool of Bethesda. And you, you walk down beside the Temple Mount, and you're, you know, when you get into the fortress of Antonia, the place where Christ was beaten. 
you feel like you're in the catacombs. But it's just down because... So the, the walls of uh, Jerusalem today, those walls that you see that are pocked from the, the um, liberation of Jerusalem when Israel got their independence, you know, and, and, uh, and so on. Those are Turk walls. Those are Turk walls. And, you know, Herod's Jerusalem, the only part of Herod's Jerusalem that you still see is the side of the Temple Mount we know today as the Wailing Wall. And it's sacred because the temple sat right up there. This was the support. That's where the temple's gone. But they, they just know how the stones... They know how Solomon carved his stones for the temple. They know how Herod carved his stones. And that tells you what part of, what period of history you're in. Okay, so they, they bring that same knowledge to these, these other cities. Okay, so I want to encourage you, based on what we've, we've read, go back and see what the Lord said to the Laodiceans. And, and just read through the book of Colossians. And, uh, and see what you can learn, because... You've been there now, right? Okay, and you can you can see uh, what Paul's burden was from the Holy Spirit for this church. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org, or call us at seven five seven four eight eight three two four one. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.